the most effective leader I see is how much you know people can listen what the team or partners, customers say, and then respond with your opinion or feeling to connect with people you're talking with and also gain trust and connections, not only like, you know, professional connections, but hopefully personal connections as well. So that will probably be more effective leader to drive business globally. こんにちは皆さん。ビジネス・セクセス・ジャパンのポッドキャストへようこそ。Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan podcast.This is your host, Lydie Buchelman.My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan-specific communication skills, especially in business.While I don't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, Piece of information or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. A quick reminder to please rate and review the podcast if you enjoy it. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast and learn more, and it also helps me keep going as an independent creator. So, thanks in advance. Today, I get to share a conversation I had with Takahiro Shikano. Taka is a global marketing strategist and partner solutions leader specializing in launching and growing sales of cutting edge technology products across Fortune 500 partner networks. He is a Japanese native with a long history of working cross culturally and is currently a global account marketing lead at Microsoft Corporation. Today, he shares his insights into what diversity and inclusion looks like in a Japanese professional context, as well as insights into what it takes to be an effective leader cross culturally. But before we get into the conversation, let's go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, we learned the Japanese business term ringi. 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 Ringi refers to the more formal system of consensus building in the Japanese business context, where a proposal is passed around to all stakeholders inside of a company in order to gain their official approval. Today, I want to explore an unrelated but important phrase for anyone working or living in Japan. It's a little bit of a longer phrase, but please bear with me. O kyak sama wa kami sama desu. O kyak sama wa kami sama desu. O kyak sama wa That's a mouthful, but after I break it down a bit for you, you'll see why it's so important. You'll also probably want to check out the description of the episode while listening to help understand what I'm saying, or just review it later to help cement it in your memory. Okyaksama is the more formal way of referring to a customer in Japanese. An alternative to sama that you may be more familiar with is san. Which translates to Mr., Ms., Miss, or Mrs. in English. Sama, however, is extremely formal and it signals that the person you are referring to is of much higher status than you in the situation. More commonly, you will hear the word okyaksan, kyaksan, or even just kyaku if someone is speaking informally about, but not to, customers. You may hear o or go. Used in front of other words when someone is speaking politely, but which one is used depends on whether the word is native Japanese or a loanword from Chinese, so we just won't get into that one today. Wa is a particle that marks the preceding word, 
okyaksama as the topic of the sentence. Kamisama is the formal word for God in Japanese, which you may commonly hear as just plain kami in conversation, and des just marks the sentence as present tense in a polite way. So, altogether, the phrase okyaksama wa kamisama desu literally means the customer is God. Compared with the English equivalent, the customer is always right, or even the one used in Korean, the customer is king. It becomes easier to understand the customs and at times seemingly extreme deferential treatment that is more commonly seen in Japan than you would at least expect in Western countries in particular. But enough of that for now. Let's get into today's interview. My name is Taka Shikano,、uh, originally from Tokyo, Japan, and、uh, moved to Seattle back in 2016. So we, I've been here、uh, almost four years working as a global. Uh, marketing the base in here. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the type of work that you're doing right now?、Uh, yes, I have a partnership and I'm also responsible for、uh, different partners. They have business、uh, globally, so I manage all the investments to support partners' sales and marketing activities、uh, in like. Each region and countries. So I will say probably up to、uh, 40 countries globally. So that's how I do it. Because you have to have different ways of thinking for different countries. How do you do that mentally? Yeah,、uh, I think it's just to try, try to、uh, adjust each person, each country, and each company's culture and just you know, listen、uh, what their needs are. So that's you know, pretty much how I do it. But sometimes it's just not easy, it takes time. But、uh, yeah, that's how I do. We were talking more specifically that you're interested in talking about diversity and inclusion. Yes.、Uh, would you mind speaking a little bit more about that for us? Yeah. So、uh, I think it's these day, in these days, a lot of people and companies talk about diversity and inclusion. But I think most of the time, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I hear that、uh, people wanted to talk about being different races, different ethnicity, and, but I, not, and I, don't, I don't see a lot of people talk about diversity and inclusion in two or three different cultures and countries. So that's why I'm here to talk about, you know, with. You know, I discuss with you how I see, how I adjust to two or three different cultures、uh, in business environment. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a lot of extra factors to have to think about when you're dealing with not just one country, but multiple countries being represented there. Especially in your experience, what does that tend to look like? What are some effective Strategies people can have and use in those situations? So,、uh, probably like,、uh, in my situation, I would say、uh, the best approach is listen and also try to adjust and,、uh, you know, different cultures, different approaches, and just, you know, be flexible. So, the reason why I said that, because, you know,、uh, Lydia, as you know,、uh, Japan. Is one of high context culture society. So, meaning is that you know, people don't say that much 
and people expect other people to see and think about what they're trying to say. But like being in the U.S., I think it's that U.S. is one of low-context cultures. So people say what they want to say, and people show uh, their feeling and their emotion all the time. So, uh, yeah, so I think it's just, you know, being totally different cultures in Japan, Asia, and also, like, U.S. just needs to be, like, you know, uh, flexible and not only looking at the uh, culture and country but also you need to look at you know a uh, person because each uh, people are different on this planet so that's mm -hmm. how I see it. I feel like it can be easy to go to the extreme one way or the other either thinking about people only in terms of culture or thinking about people only as individuals it's really important to have a balanced approach when looking at people because yeah both factors are involved, so. Yeah. In your experience then, in Japan specifically, or from a Japanese perspective specifically, yep. what does diversity and inclusion tend to look like? To be honest, when I was in Japan, probably like, you know, I didn't think about, or maybe like I didn't think enough about diversity uh, and inclusion from, uh, uh, about different, different being different races and a different ethnicity because you know when you go to Japan, you know you've been to Japan a couple, you know a few times, right? So uh, ninety up to ninety eight, ninety seven percent are Japanese, and I think it's just you know two three percent uh, people people are from originally from uh, different countries, but being in the U.S., I think it's just you know I don't know the uh, overall like an Asian population here, but I think it's just, you know, when I look at the data, uh, I think it's just in Hawaii was like in the highest Asian population uh, there. So I think it's roughly 40%. And Washington state where I'm here, uh, probably like in around 15 to 70%. But when I look at the only Japanese uh, here in Washington state, uh, less than 1%. So, uh, you know, just being here very uh, unique and uh, you know make me think about what's you know what the diversity and inclusion meaning and also like you know being not majority right population so that's did i answer your question yeah it's just kind of probably a hard thing to even think about in japan since it is so monocultural yeah the idea of inclusion is probably just such a stretch from what people are used to that yeah. it's probably hard to articulate even because <laughs> it's yeah. so normal. Just uh, this is not professional experience, but when I was in, when I went to the school in Midwest, you know, our year, like RE 2000, there was less Asian than Japanese people there. And then one time, I had, I know, I used to play basketball, so I had a pickup game, uh, you know, with friends, but I was the only one Japanese, and uh, other people are just, you know, different. So I think they have, uh, you know, people have stereotype about Asian and Japanese, so I didn't get a, you know, I ha didn't receive any passes for first, like, you know, 60 minutes, 
Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, it, it's very unique experiences that I have, and uh, I was I was a little bit shocked uh, when I yeah when I was there. Just mm -hmm. one of small examples that I wanted to share, but yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm also living in the Midwest, so where yeah. I live is also it's technically relatively diverse, but it's a little bit like people who are white tend to live in one bubble people who are of a different culture live in a different bubble so yeah in my community as well it feels a little bit like it's hard for us to get to know other people in from other cultures so okay you have yeah. a lot of that in the states even especially in the midwest just because of how the populations work out so so uh, uh sorry just uh uh when i was and when I was at the university uh, in, in Illinois, one of teachers said, oh, like I had a chance to visit like, California, but I was so surprised, lots of Asian there, so. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I think it's just in a total I agree with your comment, Lydia, but I think just, you know, uh, yeah. I think he was just very surprised to see a lot of different people from Asia, so yeah. So in your experiences then, what do companies in Japan tend to do about these issues of diversity and inclusion versus what you see in the States now that you're working in the States? Is there anything you can think of in particular or it could be in general or from your specific experience you may have seen or not seen? Yeah, I think in Japan, lots of people I mean, the, you know, let me just step back. So the Japanese government wanted to invite you know, lots of tourists, people from different countries. And I think it's people, you know, want to stay there for like, you know, maybe like a week or two weeks you know, before this, this, is, this statement is before uh, COVID-19 pandemic, of course. But, but I think it's just, you know, uh, Japan is such a unique country and I think language wise very unique and also like people are, you know, you know, very unique. So maybe like, you know, I don't know. And also Japan is, has been facing a lower birth rate. And then, so uh, I think it's just, we need to be more open for uh, people outside of Japan. But, you know, like I said, I think people are not, still not used to people coming from different countries, you know, so I think that's the one of opportunities that, you know, uh, the Japan, Japanese society will face, right? Mm -hmm. And being in the U.S., yeah, just the U.S. government is more open for different kind of people from Asia and European countries, and then maybe it's easier to uh, live here, you know, if you speak English, and uh, just to be, you know, right. And then I think it's more like I think it's people here in the U.S. more open and friendly, and they're used to people from different cultures and countries. So yeah, that's how I see it uh, from uh, yeah from my perspective. Mm -hmm. So when. A foreign person maybe goes to Japan. Are there any common reactions they get? Is it just because Japanese people as a whole tend to have less exposure to other countries, to people from other countries? Do they just tend to have stronger stereotypes maybe when they meet somebody 
how should a foreigner expect to be treated when they go to Japan, do you think? So I will say, don't get frustrated if you don't hear directly or, you know, or maybe like people's opinion, but like, you know, they're processing and seeing you, you know, how they react and how they engage with people. So I think just, you know, be more patient because, you know, you probably, if you ask any questions, you probably don't get like the right answers that you're expecting, right? And then also uh, probably like, you know, one, you know, tip that I wanted to share. And also in, yeah, in the business scene, uh, I think it's just more Japanese person wanted to work, maybe like, you know, negotiate behind the curtain. Probably like, you know, when you're in the meeting, you know, even if, you know, you think you agree with, you know, maybe there's some certain like uh, business topics, but you know, you also need to uh, work with key stakeholders behind the scenes. So otherwise, you know, things, things not gonna move forward. So that's, uh, you know, how I see it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that because I try to emphasize it every time it comes up, but in America, you go to meetings to make decisions but yeah. in Japan, you go to meetings to kind of just sign off on decisions that have already been made. Yeah. <laughs> so important <laughs> distinction to keep in mind, for sure. Yeah. So are there any other differences you've noticed? Because you have experience working in Japan, the US, Germany, and other countries. What are some other differences you notice <clears throat> in business meetings? So I will say, you know, this is, like I said, this is more like before the COVID-19, but uh, I think, you know, Japanese people tend to have casual, like maybe like, you know, casual dinner with customers, partners. So when they, you know, drink a couple, not, not everyone, but like, you know, when people drink, they will be more like open to discuss a lot of, you know, different topics and, uh, maybe like, you know, they, they wanted to know you uh, more when they drink, right? So I think in, in Japan, lots of people, more like in you know, a sales and marketing side, maybe like executive side, uh, wanted to, uh, you know, engage with customers and partners more uh, outside of, you know, formal executive meeting. But here in the US, I think just totally different. So like you said, people make a decision uh, in the meeting. <clears throat> and then also like, you know, uh, here in the US, uh, I think it's people prioritize more like, you know, a personal life and the family more. So, and then also they need to, you know, take care of kids and then bring them to like, you know, school camps. This is, more, you know, before COVID-19, but so they need, they have like, you know, tight schedule during evening. So, you know, you know, wife, I think his wife is also expecting husband to support that, right? So that's the, uh, yeah, I think it's different. I think it's in Japan, wife is expecting, not everyone, but again, expecting husband to, you know, work outside, maybe they can make some money. But yeah, that's the probably like, you know, biggest culture differences or maybe behavior differences I see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes sense that kind of the expectations around family life make a big yeah. difference what's expected at work because yeah. you can only have that sort of traditional Japanese businessman lifestyle if you have 
your wife at home doing all of the housework because if both yeah. people were doing that nobody would ever be at home so yeah. well, yeah. i think things uh, uh things will change mm -hmm. after you know uh in this covid 19 situation and uh, after that but yeah still yeah that's the yeah, biggest maybe like differences i see were those differences pretty similar in other countries as well other than the u.s or was there anything distinct about other countries too i think it's just uh when i look at the asian countries uh maybe like you know taiwan or maybe korea probably like i would say like you know similar to japan so people you know uh tend to bring or take customers upon us out for you know casual drinks but maybe like U.S. and Germany or like, you know, some of like European countries, people tend to have like, you know, casual lunch or maybe like happy hour, you know, drink for like in a few hours. And then, you know, they, they spend more time with family because, you know, family expectations totally different. So. So then moving on a little bit, could you tell us a little bit about what you think makes an effective leader? cross-culturally in your experiences? Because you've worked with people from so many different cultures. Mm -hmm. What makes somebody an effective cross-cultural leader, in your opinion? So in my opinion, so I'll, I'll probably like wanted to start with, no one's perfect on this planet. People want to uh, improve like every single day. But I think it's most the most effective leader I see is how much you know people can listen what the team or partners, customers say, and then like respond with your opinion or maybe like feeling to connect with, you know, uh, people you're talking with, and also like you know, gain trust, and then maybe like connections, um, not only like you know professional connections, but hopefully like you know personal connections as well. So that will probably like you know be more effective leader to drive business growery not only like you know this is not like u.s statement but also like you know uh, asian and european countries as well that's how i see it. yeah i can see how those skills of being well, especially being able to listen is even more important when you're working cross-culturally for sure from what you've seen what does a good leader or an effective leader look like in the united states kind of from an outside perspective oh so in, in the u.s <laughs> So uh, I think in the U.S., uh, I will say the leader can share his or her long-term vision, short and mid-term vision as well, and then just you know lead the team to how to get there. Not only like with you know business outcome, uh, revenue, and also like. Uh, other key metrics is that uh, teams is accountable for. So that's the, uh, and also like, you know, the leader here in the US, I think same as, you know, different countries as well, a lot of different uh, tough circumstances or like environment. So that's how I see it. So are there any differences for what might be an ideal leader in Japan? Is there anything that might look different if you were picturing the perfect leader in Japan versus 
what you described in America? Yeah, I think in, in Japan and also some other like Asian culture as well. I mean, country, great leader, maybe the CEO, how they can share meet and long-term vision goals to the team, you know, how we get there, right? So that's, I think it's just the baseline concept that I see. You know, I think it's just in Asia, you know, maybe like Japan, I think it's customers, partners expectation to leader is probably like lots of more like, you know, different expectation or like, you know, I want to uh, see him more uh, often or like, you know, wanted to just, you know, drink more often. So maybe like, you know, a lot of like very small stuff that the leader in Japan, Asia needs to think more. But, but I, I think it's basic concept is i think i was pretty much uh, same similar so long share long-term and mid-term vision with goals and in the metrics and how and also like you know how the leader can empower each team members to drive more business so that will be the uh, effective leader from uh, uh, my perspective that makes sense, but do you think there's any differences in what leaders expect from the people below them in organizations, or is that pretty similar as well? Uh, I think it's just hard to say, but I think it's every country's and also every organization different, and also the different expectations. So, yeah, I, it's just you know, hard to say, but uh, the organization I'm working for is, I think, you know, we, we are accountable for to drive revenue and efficient marketing activities and and also like all the activities needs to be 100 um, percent compliant right and then also like you know leader expecting us to support others to to be success so uh, that's the you know how how uh, you know our leaders uh, expectation for the organization I'm working for. Maybe like there might be an additional expectation, but I'm not gonna explain everything in detail. But if you work at the different companies, a Japanese company is different, but yeah. Are there any common issues or obstacles that you see quite a bit when you're working to build, you know, the strategic partnerships cross-culturally that you try to facilitate? I, I will say, I'm not going to say these are obstacles, but uh, probably like, you know, different style to engage with me and us. So U.S. and Western culture, you know, when you present, you get lot, lots of questions, feedback during the meeting. But in Japan and also like Asia, if you present, you probably like, you know, don't get response or maybe questions that much. Like people wait until, you know, you finish your presentation, but pretty much because uh, that's how people are raised, you know, in Japan. Because, you know, in Japan, when I was like student, we, we I think all the schools different, but like, you know, uh, usually, you know, students not allowed to ask questions until teachers finish you know, his or her presentation. But in the US, 
I think, you know, when I went to college in Midwest, I think people ask a lot of questions because, you know, that will show that teachers that I'm thinking about, you know, uh, or maybe like contributing the discussion. So just you know, to appeal, uh, you know, what they are going to do or what they wanted to say. So yeah, that's the, uh, maybe like, you know, uh, probably like opportunities for Japanese and Asian companies, maybe to ask more questions and provide feedback. At the same time, you hear a presentation from other people. So you get like more like effect, effective, efficient discussion, business discussion. So that, I, that's my uh, opinion. What do you think people can do to be prepared for those slightly different approaches? Is it just a matter of doing research beforehand? Because even in my own classes, the example you talked about, about asking questions or not asking questions or not providing feedback, it's a big one that a lot of people know about, but a lot of my students still didn't know before they went to Japan that that would be the case. So what can people do to not be caught off guard by those things? I think just, I know it's gonna be uncomfortable, but just motivate mice like you know themselves to just you know speak up and maybe like you know to do that. But you know you you said like you know students are in Japan or like you know uh, here in the U.S. Um, I had been teaching professionals who were going to Japan for business. So like people are based in here. Yes. In the U.S. Okay. Working mostly in the U.S. but doing business in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, so don't worry. Like you said before, nobody's perfect. So I think my students struggled a little bit with, in my class, learning so much that they were worried about forgetting things and then messing up and then it would make things worse. So it's probably important to try to balance learning as much as you can with not getting overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other obstacles you see or is it mostly just kind of being open and paying attention and listening and being aware as much as you can. When yeah, that, that's, that's how I see it. And then maybe like, you know, a few additional uh, stuff that, you know, might pop up in my mind uh, later, later today, but that, yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, I think that, well, it can apply to any situation. So I think that's a good thing to remember. Yeah. So do you see any unique opportunities or special outcomes that tend to come out of these multicultural workplaces or alliances? Is there anything that's especially good coming out of multicultural workplaces versus maybe more homogenous ones? Yeah, I think it's opportunities uh, working in multicultural uh, environment is you get a chance to understand maybe they like, you know, can see like different cultures and behaviors and also like languages and also different partnership and engagement with customers and partners so that will probably like you know give me opportunity to grow grow more and also like understand it maybe like be more flexible or maybe adjustable for towards uh, diversity and inclusion so that's, yeah, how I see it. So do you kind of see it as a skill where once you kind of learn how to adjust to 
one new culture, it gets easier to learn how to adjust to other cultures as you go? I would say yes, yes and no. So as you know, Western culture and Asian culture is totally different, right? And so from, from my perspective, I'm Japanese. And if I go to different Asian countries, maybe like Korea or Taiwan, and then adjust their culture country, it doesn't mean I will be successful in the U.S. or uh, West, you know, European culture, right? So, yeah. But I think it's just, you know, being in different cultures, countries will give you opportunity to be more patient. And also, like, you know, right now, this is not about the uh, diversity and inclusion <clears throat> living in different countries, but, you know, we are in the... Uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic unique situation, just probably like once every like 100 years. But that also, you know, gives me more, be more patient and then think about like maybe differently, a unique way to engage with customers, partners more. So, yeah. Working with people who have worked cross-culturally, do you think they tend to have a different skill set? Like, do they grow certain skills through their experiences working cross culture? Uh, I would say yes. Yeah. So, uh, if they are in the uh, you know dif- different culture environment or maybe like a multicultural environment, they are more like open for changes, and then they are more flexible, and then they are not. They probably like they feel comfortable for different. Di- different stuff but if you know people are only in one unique cultural environment probably like it just then probably like get uncomfortable towards a lot of stuff easily so that's yeah that's how I see it yeah because you know Lydia when you go to Japan and then when you meet with uh, Japanese people who spend like you know 30 or 40 years uh, in Japan probably they're not used to meet or maybe like speak with people from different countries right Mm -hmm. Uh, if you meet with people uh japanese people who spend maybe like 10 20 years uh in the u.s or european because they're just more open mind for different stuff and the changes yeah for sure you can almost kind of sense it based on their body language when they see you if they had more experiences abroad or if it's kind of a new situation because new things are scary our bodies automatically react different yeah. things versus things that we're not as used to so yeah and uh i think just the funniest question i ever asked before uh when i went to college so you know you know ninja right mm-hmm. so one time i met with Know, one of my friends at the university and he never probably like he never ever spoke with people you know outside of the u.s so he he was just you know maybe like watching a lot of cartoons or maybe the tv mm-hmm. from like asia and i think his stereotype is oh like still ninja is exist in japan so he asked me one time hey uh taka is a uh, ninja still exist in Japan, <laughs> uh, not anymore. Maybe like you know, back in 
all days, but yeah, so that's probably like, you know, but if uh, he was, he spent like, you know, lots of time, maybe like opportunity to, you know, travel outside of US, he probably he's not gonna ask that question, right? So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have you uh, have you also uh, you know asked any questions like similar question when you were in Korea and Japan? Um, when maybe that can uh, make you uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I had by the time I went to South Korea, I had already been in Japan a few times. Oh, okay, okay. So I was kind of used to it. I kind of knew what to expect. Okay. I, like people randomly asking how much you weigh, how old you are. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> just very personal questions. Yeah, yeah. Partially because I was teaching kids, so. Obviously. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, they're just gonna ask whatever they want, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just being aware that people will say things and ask things that may not be appropriate in your culture. Just know that it may be okay in the culture that you're dealing with. So, yeah. try not to apply your culture automatically <laughs> to the other one. Are there any other topics about diversity and inclusion you wanted to touch on? Not that much. Probably like, you know, we cover, um, you know, most of it. But um, of course, you know, I didn't cover 100%. But uh, that's pretty much I really wanted to, uh, you know, discuss with you today's uh, podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, it's such a big topic. We probably can't really cover all of it at once anyway, if you try it. Yeah, yeah. So do you have any personal examples of communications breakdowns that you think are due to culture other than somebody asking you if there's still a bunch of ninjas running around Japan? Personal experiences. I don't know, maybe like one of the examples was about ninja, but like you said, I think it's Japan and Asian countries, they ask questions, whatever they want to ask. So like personal question, right? How do you are? you know, maybe like a way or also like, you know, in Japan, I think it's people wanted to talk about uh, blood type. I was used to it, but, you know, being in the U.S., no one can talk about, you know, other people's blood type, right? <laughs> so, I don't know, very uh, unique in Japan. And I think it's so, so other European countries, probably they don't care, maybe they don't talk about it. Yeah, I think it's just more like, you know, I think in Japan, Asian countries, especially when they drink, wanted to talk about a little more like you know, personal stuff. But yeah, I think it's in the US, you don't know what's gonna happen and what's ended up and with, you know, different uh, people from different countries. So I think it's just, you know, people are very careful and not not tend not to ask personal questions that much so mm -hmm. yeah i would agree with that we yeah a lot of times tiptoe around a lot of different subjects but yeah going back to the blood type thing i think most at least in america most people just don't know their blood type but i think okay. it's korea too maybe a few other east asian countries it's related to like personality type isn't it like that's kind of yeah Part of that. Well, uh, when I was, uh, you know, college student here, uh, here in the U.S., I think you know, some people talk about like you know, uh, people's religion, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, never ever talk about you know people's blood type uh, here in the U.S. So yeah, just uh, very uh, interesting. 
So then if you were talking to somebody who was going to go to Japan for business, but you really only had time to teach them one thing about the country or about the culture before they got there, what would you teach them about? I would say don't get frustrated about the uh, train transportation. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's just, you know, we get Japan is such a small country and then we we've been using like a train or maybe like taxis as a transportation, one of transportation uh, vehicles, right? And then I think it's all the subway trains, very complicated, but I think it's, you know, be more patient. And I think it's, if you need help, you just need to, you know, ask very carefully. But that's the, uh, probably the, I would say for uh, personal daily life, uh, advice, but in business uh, situation, I think also be patient. And then you're not gonna, you know, if you ask questions, uh, you're not gonna get what you wanna hear. And also, like, you know, not everyone is, you know, not everyone speaks English uh, fluently, right? So maybe, like, you know, yeah, I think it's just, be you know uh, be uncomfortable for uh, different 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 stuff uh, behaviors and yeah that's how I you know that's what I do that's what I suggest yeah with the trains in Tokyo it can be a bit much it's more than a little bit overwhelming <laughs> the train <laughs> yeah um, something else about that is with the trains you can usually ask people for help but sometimes if they don't know, they might tell you wrong instructions because yeah. they want to say they don't know. So if you can, just ask somebody who actually works at the company. Yeah. Help people. You can ask other people, but if you have the option, try to go more towards somebody who works there. Yeah. <laughs> you may not want to lose face over not knowing how to get somewhere on the train. Yeah, yeah I agree. All right, well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else you wanted to quick say to my audience before we wrap up? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm okay. I'm, you know, I, you know, thank you very much for this opportunity to uh, talk about, you know, about myself and my experiences and also like diversity and inclusion. Uh, really, you know, appreciate it and great to connect with you, Guillaume. So, uh, and I know that you're going to uh, Japan sometimes, you know, in the near future. So enjoy your time there. So hopefully, you know, we can connect you know, sometimes in the near future. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Take care. Yeah, thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation. And please be sure to check out the links in the description of this episode to learn more about Taka and follow his activities on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's episode, please go ahead and share it with a friend, a colleague, or a connection on LinkedIn to help spread the messages and information shared in this podcast. And please remember to go ahead and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. And feel free to email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics. And if you enjoyed the episode, please go ahead and send it to someone you think would enjoy giving it a listen. Also, be sure to reach out if you would like to contribute as a guest on the podcast to share your own cultural insights into doing business in Japan. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. Until next time!
また今度。